Welcome to the Plus Six Podcast. My name is Pete, and I go by the name of AFL Ratings Pete on Twitter. Joining me on episode 13 today is a very special guest. His name is Ryan Daniels. He provided some serious information and intel on both West Coast and Fremantle. I hope you enjoy. I would like to welcome to the show a man who is currently a sports reporter and presenter at Channel 7 Perth. This is a man that chases the news from a fantasy perspective for us coaches. He recently dominated the sidelines in the BBL. You know him on Twitter as Footy Rhino. Welcome to the show, Ryan Daniels. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. I'm not sure about dominating the sidelines. It's more than just sauntering up and down, hoping to uh, have an impact. <laughs> I've definitely seen you uh, dominating those sidelines for interviews, mate, so that was a job well done. Maybe it was the brown jacket uh, that I was forced to wear. <laughs> uh, possibly, possibly. Can you give the listeners a little bit about your background, which has led you to your current roles? Um, well, as, as you sort of touched on, um, I, I work for Channel 7. I work as a, a sports journalist there. I've been doing that for about a decade. Um, and, and presenting as well, which has sort of ramped up over the last few years, doing a bit more um, each year. And, and as you said, um, some sideline stuff for the Big Bash. But... Um, I suppose the way I got into it, um, I did a uni degree. I went to a place called Murdoch Uni here in WA um, and just went through that and then did a whole bunch of work experience, most of it at Channel 7. Um, and eventually, after doing a bunch of other smaller roles, which was sort of not really anything to do with sport, um, I just hassled the uh, the guys there long enough um, for them to give me a shot. And it's a very slow-moving process, The um, getting into the media industry, very, very slow-moving, but mm-hmm. if the right doors open up for you and, you, and you're persistent enough and, and you really want it and, and you know what you're talking about, then eventually you do get your shot. So um, right now I'm really loving it. I'm enjoying everything I do, and um, it's a great mix of footy and cricket in the um, footy off-season and uh, a few of the other sports that are around as well. Fantastic. How many hours do you put in across a normal week? Um, well, my, my days are from Mondays and Tuesdays. I tend to try to keep those almost entirely sport-free. I also graze over social media just to make sure there's nothing major that I'm missing. But, you know, if there's a, if there's a for instance, when the BBL was on, if there was a BBL game on a Monday or a Tuesday that I wasn't working, I, I wouldn't watch it. I, you know, I just sort of try to keep that as either family time or me time. Um, but when it, during the other five days, it's, it can be pretty full on. I'll give you an example. Sort of during the footy season, I would probably do oh, well in well in um, excess of sixty hours, probably closer to seventy. And that that sort of for me includes any outside gigs you might do, any MC events you might do, mm-hmm. any radio things, any other studio shows, or whatever you've got going on. You probably do oh, somewhere between sixty and seventy. But in saying that, a lot of the work doesn't really feel like work because like i'll go in on a weekend a saturday morning at 10 a.m i'll watch every game of footy that's on that day mm-hmm. you know i'll write some stuff about it i'll do some voiceovers and, and that's my day so most people would be doing that on the couch anyway so it's hard oh. to sort of complain about the hours but really you're pretty much just watching and talking about sport for a living especially for something that you love doing yeah and and it's great for um for fantasy footy too i mean it's for me like i i've always loved fantasy football and and so that's why i mean i sort of would find myself watching games that you know maybe between say port adelaide and gold coast that half the population wouldn't care about but Mm. as you know you know anyone who's into fantasy football that game could be worth its weight in gold depending on who you have in your team so um for me i've always kind of trended towards watching um lots and lots of different games and lots of different teams so it sort of works very well within my my own interests what would be your recommendation to someone interested 
in a career in AFL type media? Um, but, uh, well, be, not being pessimistic, but be prepared that it's a long, hard slog. Some people um, catch a break early and they and they thrive. Um, I'll give you an example. Someone like Abby Jelmy, who I, I knew when she was in Perth, she did some work experience with us at Seven. Mm-hmm. She went to Sydney. She worked there for a year or two in Fox, and, and now she's, her career is just flying and taking Absolutely. off, and that's great because she really works hard and she's very good at what she does. But um, there are other people I've seen along the way who you know work for years and years and years and never get the great opportunity that they want or deserve. So it can be a really tough slog, but if you really do love it, you know, you'll be fine and you'll, you'll get enough enjoyment out of it that, um, you know, you can stick around hopefully long enough for a chance to, to sink your teeth into something that you really, really want to do. Um, it's, it's tough. Like in Perth alone, um, there's what, maybe 10 to 15 TV sports reporting jobs total. And a lot of those jobs are consumed by people who have been in the industry for well, much, much longer than I have. These are sort of going on 20, 30 years. So, mm. Um, there's not a lot of turnover in those roles and as we know media is changing and, and in some ways shrinking and diversifying yep. and the way we view it so there's even less and less of those roles and, and newer ones coming up so my advice would be be ready for anything um, be ready to stick it out for the long haul and um, eventually you'll get your chance how competitive is the perth media um, it's it, it depends on the day, depends on the story. Um, I, I sort of already touched, I guess, on getting a job in the Perth media, which is competitive. But when you're actually working day to day, most of the time, this stuff is pretty straightforward. You know, the Fremantle Dockers or the Eagles will put on a press conference. You'll go to the press conference. You'll all ask questions or sort of work together in that respect most of the time. Mm-hmm. Training will come. You'll all have a camera there. You'll be shooting effectively the same stuff. But the key is to not let your guard down and not miss what you're supposed to be there for, which is Absolutely. you're keeping an eye on the training track for injuries, you're keeping an eye on the training track for trends. You know, is Michael Walters training as a small forward or is he training with the midfield group? Like, is there something different about, you know, a young player that was there last year? And and this, again, it sort of does tie back into the fantasy stuff where I find, like, um, it really does help you. Um, and it might sound silly, but, for instance, with like a Sam Sturt or a Luke Valenti or these types of guys, I, I reckon I'm keeping a closer eye on them than some of my colleagues who don't mm. give two rats about fantasy football and they're just waiting to see, okay, well, once Sam Sturt plays his first game, then I'll start caring about him. But um, I think it works a little bit differently when you've got a, a different eye on it. Um, in terms of the big stories, when the big stories break, um, whether it be you know a Harley Bennell story or Jesse Hogan story or... A, a Willie Rioli story, that massive one last year, then it yep. does get competitive, but it's a respectful competition. I don't think there's, there's not really any stabbing in the back or anything like that. Yep. We all understand here when it's time to go, it's time to get the hardball, you, you get the hardball. Um, and sometimes you miss out and sometimes you get it. But it's, it, yeah, we, we're all pretty friendly and, and, until the story has to sort of be otherwise. And, and even then, it's a respectful competitiveness. I'll just touch on the, the, the angle from the fantasy football perspective there. Is it is that your background there and knowing the rookies that are coming through, and as you touched on as well, it gives you a, an additional edge. And that's the mm-hmm. some, that's something that the fantasy football community is after, is the, is the rookie news and is it the, the, the slight you know undulation of a, a news story that other people aren't looking at. So from a fantasy football perspective, uh, that's quite important for us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, it's sort of, I mean, I had my Footy Rhino website for a long time and uh, that sort of, I started that originally uh, before I was really 
full blown into into working in media professionally. So I was kind of doing it to work on my writing, and I obviously had a massive interest in fantasy sports and mm. and then podcasting after that. Um, so for me, I've always kind of got that in the back of my mind. Like when I'm watching things, I know that there's a, a lot of the followers I have on on Twitter are, are fantasy football fanatics. Yeah. So I, I know my I know my audience. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, it's important. It, it, yeah, it is, and they're desperate to hear about you know, how is Luke Valenti tracking or, you know, Correct. what is Michael Walters doing with his role or, and because I'm here in the West and a lot of the guys over East don't really have a close eye on, um, on the teams over here. It, it, you know, it's, it's a role. It's a, it's an important role to play. Um, one thing I've tried not to do too much is to get bogged down in just being a West Australian reporter. Like I, mm-hmm. it's hard not to, because it's basically all the training sessions and the things that I cover. But in saying that, I, I, I'd like to think that I, I keep a close eye on, pretty much the whole of the competition. It's just I'm not probably at their training sessions or their press conferences every day. You're definitely on my Twitter feeds for news, that's for sure. <laughs> how, how do you compare a two-team town to what happens over here in Melbourne? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I've spent a bit of time in Melbourne. I probably go over three or four times a year for work. Um, I spend a fair bit of time in their newsroom over there, the 7 Melbourne newsroom. I spend a bit of time at some of the clubs um, the last three to four years I've, I've visited probably all of the clubs except for maybe Melbourne I think is probably the only one I haven't been to mm-hmm. so it's it's very different um, I mean here in Perth we've got two teams um, the footy people here are fanatical about it just like in Melbourne um, it's a bit different here it's, I would say the supporter base is you're talking 100% of people that are interested in footy you're probably looking at a uh, maybe a 65 to 60 Eagles supporter base then probably another 30 on top of that for the Dockers and then the rest is made up of all the other teams so mm-hmm. it's a pretty significant Eagles town um, in saying that the Dockers people are super super passionate and they know their footy so um, look I don't think it's much different I suppose what is different is if you're not going really poorly or really well in Melbourne you're probably just not getting any coverage at all um, mm. and look I look at someone like North Melbourne who's sort of been one of those middle of the road teams Apart, apart from one or two years, over the last decade, really, they've sort of been that middle-of-the-road team. Mm-hmm. Now, if their media department wasn't as fantastic and as open as it is, and they've probably got the best in the competition, yep. um, they probably wouldn't get any coverage because mm-hmm. there's just not enough time and not enough cameras and not enough resources for these Melbourne crews to get out to 10 different clubs every yep. single day. It's just not going to happen. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's different in that way. So where the Eagles or the Dockers are, are good, bad or mediocre, they're getting plenty of coverage yep. every single day. Um, there's no way we'd miss a press conference, um, whether it was, you know, Sam Sturt or Nat Fife, we'd go. Um, whether it was, you know, Bailey Williams at West Coast or it was Shannon Hearn, we'd be there. Yep. So it's, it's different in that case. Whereas I think in Melbourne, you can kind of pick and choose your stories. There's more clubs. Okay, who's the hot club at the moment? Is it Richmond, obviously? Who's the troubled club? Everyone cares about Essendon at the moment, so it's Essendon. You know, that's sort of, I think Melbourne really has to prioritise what they do with their resources, their stories. Whereas here, that's why you get such a massive coverage of those two teams, because we've got the resources to cover them very, very well. Excellent insight there. Do you find stories or news a little on the thin side compared to the overdrive Melbourne AFL news market? Um, Time to time, yeah. I suppose... um, we probably do overdo things a little bit here in terms of like some of our bigger name players. And we've got a channel seven. We've had a long-term relationship with Matt Fife and Nick Natanui over here. We've worked pretty closely with them over the years. And I mean, they're superstars of the game, but we sort of probably push them to another level in terms of what media coverage they get. 
Um, I mean, they deserve every second of it, and they're good media performers. But, um, yeah, I suppose from time to time it can get a little bit thin. If you're on a Friday and there's no no press conference for West Coast or Frio, there's no controversies around town, there's no, no stories you've got saved in the bank, it can be a bit hard to produce something. Whereas I suppose if you were over east in Melbourne, you'd know at least one of the clubs would be doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could hit one of them up earlier in the week and say, look, we know Friday's going to be quiet, can we do something one-on-one with one of your players? So... Um, and that's, that also tends to happen over here with West Coast and, and Frio. That they're not super, super open with access uh, in terms of you know one-on-one players or anything like that. They're very restrictive of what they do. Every now and then they'll open the doors a little bit, but in general, you know, it's, they serve up the basics. And, and for really, it's up to us to, to try to figure out the, how to colour around the edges. It's amazing the contrast between Australian media and US sports media. Mm. Um, I follow US sports media. And you can see the access that media get to players. It, it's a pity that the Australian media, especially from a football perspective, do not get the same access. Yeah, it is incredible. I mean, I'm a massive NBA fan. I've been following yeah. that for years. There's obviously a lot of access there. And it's, you know, you look at somebody like um, like Woj, and it's trade, trade season right now. So any yeah. NBA fan is just basically sitting on Woj's Twitter feed. And yes. I'm constantly stunned by that guy. I mean, to think about the access that he has, whether it's, I don't know who his sources are, but they're unbelievable. He, he must have some they're coaches, impeccable. he must yeah. have some GMs, he must have some players, he must have some league staff. It, and he never misses a story and he gets it every time. Now, we probably don't have someone like that in Australia. We've got a few examples of people who break stories constantly and consistently. Mm-hmm. But but in terms of a woge, I mean, not many leagues around the world have a woge, but I think a lot of that comes from the access that you build up over the years with being able to talk to these people. I mean, a lot of the footy managers and these types of guys, the media never even see these guys. Like They they sort of pop up at the draft. You might see a recruiter or a a GM or or whatever, and you might think, oh, that's a familiar face. And if you know, if you're doing your work, you should know the local clubs at least. But it's um it's not it's not like you have these guys on speed dial and you can call them up and ask them anything. And even if you do talk to them, they're not going to give much away. So um, it's very different, and uh, I'm not sure which approach is right or wrong. I wish it was more open here, of course, um, and we'd have more access. And I think it's hopefully trending that way, but uh, we'll see. Listening to Woj back what are we six to seven months ago in the biggest NBA off season for trades and free agents, he mentioned that his relationships built over a long period of time were mm. part of with a big part of the reason why he could break all those stories. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's trust. I mean it's trust and yeah. I try to be really, really careful with the stuff that I put on uh in my stories or in social media because I think once you know, if you're putting stuff out there that you're not hundred percent sure about and let me tell you, like when you're working in the media every day, in particularly I suppose the stuff around Perth here there are stories you get every single day. There are things that you hear. Yep. Someone might you might hear it from five different people, um, but doesn't mean it's right. Um, yep. And you have to make sure it's right before you go with it. You know, we obviously you hear a lot of different things about Jesse Hogan over the time. We heard a lot of things about Harley Bennell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Rioli story even to a fact. Look, there were hours before that broke that um, that I definitely knew. I knew about it, and I'm sure a few other people knew about it too. But it's about mm-hmm. confirming it and then going with it. Yep and not just throwing it out there until it's 100% right. And there's such a temptation because you sit down and you think, geez, it would be cool and it would probably be good for my career to break these stories. But what you don't want to do is put it out there if it's wrong. And I think that someone like Woj has built up so much trust over a period of time that people know that when he puts it out there, it's, it's right. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, he's, it's almost like he's 
the spokesperson now for, for the NBA. Like he, he just announces trades and announces draft picks and it's like he's built up so much trust that he's now just almost like, um, yeah, the announcer. Yeah, correct. He's the announcer for NBA. He's got agents on side. He's got players on side. He's got teams yeah. and GMs. He's got everyone. And what the most important thing there is, is the trust. Yeah, exactly. That's the number one thing. And that's what I was saying. It's, it's super important. And you see plenty of examples of people tweeting stuff out or posting stories. And then, you know, it turns out two, three, four, five hours later that those were not, in fact, the facts. And there was, um, you know, maybe it was half the story or mm. a quarter of the story, but not the full story. And that's, I think it's super important. If you're going to have a long career and you're going to be um, respected and, and you're going to, you know, make a successful career, I think you've really got to just be prepared to just put your thumbs and your, and your phone down for five minutes and just make another call or, or wait till you can confirm it before you go with it. I chase news 24-7 almost, especially for the AFL. And the most important thing for me is accuracy. Yep. It, it's very important for me because if you're putting stuff out on Twitter, which is news, accuracy is the most important thing, especially from a fantasy perspective where a decision can, be, can change based on a piece of information being right or wrong. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I've got a good example of this, actually. And I, and I, I, it was from a few years back, um, and I'm sure if there's any of my followers who are listening now, they might remember it. Um, I got some amazing intel from, from someone I know at GWS, and they, they told me that Toby Green had done an injury at training, and it was a significant one. There were no cameras at the time there filming it. Um, obviously, I was on the other side of the country, mm. uh, but I was 100% sure that this was accurate and that he wouldn't play that weekend and probably not the weekend after. Yep. So I... I've gone with it on Twitter. I trusted this source 100%, 100%. Um, I put it up, and uh, I got a very uh, a massive backlash, really, and it copped a lot from GWS in particular, who even responded and said, Toby's fine, he'll play this week, and yep. they made a big song and dance about it. And then there was a late withdrawal on sure. the um, on the Saturday morning, and uh, I copped an absolute berating on Twitter that week from people saying, check your facts, get it right. And I, I held back and I just thought, look, I'm, I'm so sure this is right. I run yeah. my source again. They said, no, he's definitely he's definitely hurt. He's not going to play. And then it was sort of vindicated. But by that point, you know, whatever the Giants were doing, obviously they had a big game that weekend or maybe they didn't even, you know, some of the people in the, in the club didn't know themselves. Yep. Um, you know, for whatever reason, um, but I was adamant that I was right. I wouldn't have gone with it otherwise. And um, I did feel a little bit vindicated, not that I was happy that Toby was injured for two weeks, but um, that I had my facts right and um, and I wouldn't have gone with it otherwise. A fantastic insight, breaking a story like on the other side of the country. I mean, the sources there are quite impeccable and to break that in advance of a team announcing it, because teams like to announce their own inj- injuries these days, but um, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm not too sure why teams sort of get upset that somebody's breaking something that's true. Well, they're, they're very... I mean, the footy departments run clubs effectively because mm. the thing that matters the most you can have great uh, marketing you can have you know great business acumen but you really need wins um that that starts everything when a team is successful they get more members people buy merchandise yeah. um you know it's it's almost easy you take everything takes care of itself but when you're you're not winning or you're you know middle of the table or whatever it's hard like every win matters so much and to them you know i don't I, i'm not trying to put words in their mouth i don't know what happened that week for instance but clubs are very protective of injury news because it could impact selection for the other team mm-hmm. they don't want teams they want teams planning for toby green yeah. they don't want they don't want the opposition teams being able to go beautiful we can rule a line through toby because he was 
10% of our planning. We don't have to worry about that now. You know, they want whoever they were playing that weekend to be concerned. So um, I understand it from that point of view, but what fans want is transparency. Yep. Um, I think we sort of need to get past that point where it's, you know, these sort of ducks and drakes and these sorts of things. But um, And from the other point of view is, is their media too. They like to announce things themselves because their websites um, and their socials and all these kinds of things, they're sponsor-driven. Yep. Um, so the more hits that... You know, West Coast or you know Geelong or Hawthorne are getting um, the more money they can make. So it's, it's it makes sense for them to want to announce their own news rather than you know someone from Channel Seven or someone from the Herald Sun or whoever it be um, announcing it. They'd like to own all of this stuff. So yeah, it's it's big business. How and when did you first begin playing fantasy sports? Um, oh man, I'm I'm real old school. I was playing. Um, I can't remember how old I was. I reckon I probably was maybe 11 or 12 but i remember it was in the newspaper um and it was all listed um players were sort of they'd never priced they had just a, a rating so i remember i remember specifically that matthew lloyd and scott cummings were the two most expensive forwards because i remember never being able to decide between which one that i wanted yeah. so if it was scott cummings that might have been the around 99 maybe yep. 98 i guess so maybe, maybe I was a little bit older than 11 or 12. But I remember doing it in the paper because I remember you had to ring up to make your yes. trades and it was about $5 a minute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my mum was killing me because I'd ring up and, and you know, you'd get the player number wrong so you have to cancel. It ended up taking you eight minutes to make a trade, which is 40 bucks. So, yeah, just safe to say I didn't win that year because I wasn't allowed to make too many trades. God, could you imagine uh, $5 a minute on trades in this day and age? We'd all be spending hundreds. Oh, my God. Hundreds of oh thousands of dollars on fantasy, wouldn't we? It's, let's not give anybody that idea because I would do it. <laughs> Five dollars a trade. Would he started charging per transaction? Um, actually, it's a bit of a, um, a, 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 a. It's not really related to what we're talking about, but I've had that idea for years in our um, draft leagues about charging people for transactions and bringing yep. in the prize pool. But I've never been able to get it through the keeper. The um, I don't mind like. A separate from say Supercoach or AFL Fantasy, if another league did start up, I wouldn't mind having like a set a set amount of trades free, and then any trade after that, um, you actually pay per trade to put as as you said into a prize pool. Yeah, I love that idea. I suppose you'd have the big money teams bankrolling the season, the guys who are earning more money. I suppose that would be your issue. You'd end up like the AFL. You'd have your Collingwoods and your West Coast and your Richmond dominating the free agency. Yeah, it's just something different. But but anyway, we dog, we digress. Would you consider your role in the media an advantage or disadvantage playing AFL fantasy? How much of your knowledge in news influences your selections? Um, I'd say it's a big advantage. Um, I cop a lot of hassle from my mates in the leagues that I'm in that aren't in media. Um, they reckon I've got a an unfair advantage. They reckon I get access to things before they do, team news and injuries, and that's kind of true. Yep. Um, so I guess it does help. Um, and I've had a bit of success over the years, but don't win every year. Um, so sometimes I think it gets in my way. Sometimes it makes me overthink things yep. um, and make too many changes with my free agencies and those kinds of things. So sometimes it helps and sometimes it hurts. I think it helps with young players coming through. I've got a pretty good read on most of the guys, yep. uh, particularly the local guys. I've seen them train, and that's important. Um, and sometimes I'll shake my head when I see you know other people talking people up, and I'm like, "You got to be kidding me!" Like this bloke hasn't hasn't run in six weeks, you know. Yes. Like, uh, so it it does help in a lot of ways. And and I, and during the season, I think it helps big time because as I said, I'm watching. I reckon I'd probably watch eight or nine games a weekend every single weekend. So yeah. 
Like I'm watching Jordan Dawson emerge before everybody else is, yep. so I'm picking him up two weeks before he flies, and you know I'm watching a bit of Patrick Lipinski and I'm picking him up before he flies, and so I think it can help in that way as well. I do a lot of research in the under 18 championships and and post draft, so I can go back and see how they'll fit into the new club, and it gives you a big head start on your opponents. Oh, definitely, 100%. And also keeping an eye on like the NEFL, um, the VFL, yep. you know, the WASL numbers and how guys progress through there, what role they're playing there mm. as well, which is important. Yep. Um, yeah, so much of that is it, it, it's absolutely crucial. I'm always amazed when someone in, in a league that I'm in, it's a highly competitive league, wins and they don't do all that. I'm always, it makes an entire season based on luck is my opinion, but <laughs> that's me grizzling. Yeah. Uh, we'll get on to some football, and that's probably what the listeners are tuning in for. With the, introduc- yep. with the introduction of Tim Kelly, can you tell the listeners what you are seeing evolve over the West Coast preseason? Yeah, it's, this is a weird one. This, they're being real coy about it. Every time I've asked somebody about it, whether it be on the record or off the record, they're trying to sort of tell me that they're not doing much different um, other than the fact that Tim Kelly obviously can go forward. Now, the mm-hmm. way that they played in the last few years, Chris Marston obviously has come out of that midfield. Yep. And most people would say, well, yeah, well, Tim Kelly's a far better player. But it's about role. Um, and Marston's role in the past few years as someone who was a, a previously a big-time accumulator and, yep. and probably one of the top 10 runners in the entire AFL. Um, he can just go all day. Uh, his role switched in the last three years and they tried to use that running, basically telling him, look, take your opponent and run as far away from the play as possible. Yeah. It drags the person away, gives more space for your Luke Shueys, your Elliot yeah. Yo, Andrew Gaffs. Now, they're not going to want to do that with Tim Kelly. No. So either somebody else switches into that role, whether it be a Mark Hutchings, who's also a fantastic runner, um, or a Dom Sheed, yeah. uh, who I probably wouldn't think is in that role. I think it's probably more going to be Hutchings, if anybody. Okay. Or they shift things completely and just back in at the fact that they've now got a Rolls-Royce midfield, um, a real strong contested team, but also a strong outside team. Yep. You, could argue they've, you could argue they've got the best midfield in the comp on paper now. Yep. Um, and I think that'll be that, that would suggest to me that they're going to switch things rather than try to squeeze somebody into that master role. So what I would think is you can probably sense that they'd be a little bit more attacking. Yep. They're also got to try and make up for the goals that Willie Rioli won't be there to kick because you can almost bet your life on the fact that he won't play this year at least. Yep. Um, and so they've got to get some goals from the midfield and they'll get that from Tim Kelly. Luke Chew is a goal kicker and, and we're yet to sort of quite figure out what Elliot Yo's best um, form of himself is. Yep. Um, but I think what we'll see is a slightly more attacking version of their midfield and I don't think they'll play that master role that they have been in the last few years. Interesting, because the Eagles are a low-disposal team. I wonder if that yeah. that might even change this year. Well, I think in the past, because of Josh Kennedy's dominance, they've also got Jack Darling up there, and they back their small forwards in. Yep. I think their theory has sort of been, let's use our really elite kickers off the half-back line. Yep. Hearn, McGovern, um, Lewis Jetta, these guys can all kick beautifully. So get them the ball off the half-back, and you don't need to have six kicks. You can do it in two or three. and Get it into that forward line, get it into JK, get it into Darling before the defence has a chance to set up. And then if it hits the ground, you've also got, you know, Liam Ryan, Willie Rioli, Petricelli, great small forwards. So yep. I think that's been this. That's probably why they've been a low-possession team. It's more about efficiency and quality of possession rather than quantity and completely overwhelming, yep. which is why when we see them play Richmond, it's two completely different styles of footy, two very good teams, but yep. 
Richmond, as you know, over, like, like to sort of overpossess, like to dominate possession, move that ball forward with a with a lot of touch, whereas West Coast just cut through the lines with those kickers. So it's a complete contrasting style. And I think they'll do a lot of that still, but their midfield mix is definitely going to change, particularly at stoppages, because as I said, the, the master role, which is basically just get as far away as you possibly can and use your running, yep. that role's probably not going to be there. It's interesting you say Richmond and West Coast and the contrast of styles. That game late in the season, the first half it was West Coast style uh, taking over the game and the second half was Richmond. That was a quality game and exactly on contrasting styles, that was a perfect example of that. Exactly. And I think think for a lot of people, I mean, as I said, I watched a lot of games. I reckon that was probably either the game of the year or at very least what what we would have liked to have seen in the grand final. That would have been fantastic because it was one of those games where you thought, geez, West Coast has put them away here. This is unbelievable. They're yeah. making a statement. Next thing you know, Richmond's doing the exact opposite. They're, they're bringing the game back to their speed. And then West Coast came again. Yep. And then Richmond came again. And it just had so much going on. And, you know, every mistake seemed to be worth 10. And Tommy yeah. Barris basically kind of lost the Eagles that game because he only made two mistakes the whole day. But that's all it took. Um, it was a fantastic game. And, yeah, completely different styles. So it's great that we have two teams you could make an argument that they're the two best teams in the comp going into this season, that they're in the top four for sure. Yep. Um, and they're so different to each other, which is, I think it's really exciting. I remember listening to Adam Simpson prior to the game itself, and the question was asked of him, would he use Elliot Yo or Hutchings, or I think Hutchings played, but or someone to actually go and take Dusty? And he sort of mentioned that he didn't want to go that. He wanted to have his team influence the game rather than be dictated to by Richmond. Yeah, and, and he did that a lot last year. I mean, they they, they have Hutchings as a tagger. He, that's sort of what he's best at. But they don't necessarily always use him as a pure tagger on the most obvious player. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would think it would be, obviously, you know, put someone on Dusty. And, look, it was pretty obvious Dusty was amazing that day. I, from memory, I think Hutchings got hurt, I think, mm-hmm. halfway through or late in that game. And it actually may have cost them significantly on the day. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's yep. just from my memory. Um, so that would have cost. But they're not necessarily a hard-tagging team, even though they do have someone in the team who can lay a hard tag. So, And Yo, Yo, when he sort of does it, he's, he's not really a tagging defensive midfielder at all. He's, he just tries to beat them with his own sort of power and his own skill because he's just... If those guys like Dusty and Danger and Fife are A-pluses, he's an A. Yep. Um, in terms of those powerhouse midfielders, and maybe he can get to the A+. plus. He's right there. At what level can you see Adam Simpson playing Nick Natnui in the home and away season? Well, I, I sat down with Nick last week for a really long interview, and I asked him a, a lot about what his role was going to be this year and how many games he was supposed to be playing and how many minutes he was supposed to be playing. He said the idea is basically to add 20 minutes onto his game time from last season, which would wow. push him to around sort of 90 to 100, I think. Yep. Um, and he plans to play every single game. At this stage, there's no plan to rest him. Um, I know he's not playing in the All-Stars game, the State of Origin game, because they want him to play against the Bombers um, over here and get some time with the midfielders. I think they're basically looking at this. Nick Nance got three years on his contract left. That may be his last three years. He's been banged up, but this is his best pre-season in five years. He hasn't completed a full pre-season in five years. This is his first. So why not just unleash him completely? I mean, you've got to take a little bit of care if he starts to show some pain in either knee um, or any of his other issues that he's got going on. You'd have to pull him back. 
But I don't think they're going in with any restrictions at all. He's done a heap in the preseason. Yep. He was there on day one. He's been doing all the running, all the match sims. Um, both him and Josh Kennedy have been. So I would expect him to be not the normal Nick Nat, but a better, sort of more game-ready version than we've seen in the last two to three years. My theory is that Simpson will prime him ready for the finals. But listening to your comments right there, as increased minutes, he's priced at 63.5 points to begin the 2020 season. That's got me a little intrigued right now. Yeah, I think that's probably a steal. I mean, he's never been a massive accumulator. He's always, as you would know, more of a sort of impact supercoach type player than his mm-hmm. AFL dream team. But but in saying that, 63, I mean, I would, I would suggest that he'd be getting that quite easily. At yeah. the worst case scenario, you're going to tread water and you're not going to lose money on him. Um, I would think you could probably expect an average of somewhere between 75 and 80 mm-hmm. um, and then look to, as you know, sideways upgrade or, or you know, or upgrade completely on your own. But yeah. I just I just think that um, it depends who they play with him as well. That's the other thing. I mean, whether they play Nathan Vardy or Tom Hickey or yep. there's a kid coming through, Bailey Williams, yes. um, who everyone should look out for their bench. Uh, he's had a fantastic preseason. He was good last year. He almost got a debut last year, I reckon. He would have been really, really close. And Oscar Allen's been banged up over the preseason. He sort of did a bit of rucking last year. So don't be surprised if this Bailey Williams kid plays at some point this year and maybe even early. And that will obviously impact what that does because he's a ruck forward, probably slightly more forward, but he can jump. Yeah, Bailey Williams, I remember thinking back to his under-18s championships and he was very impressive for me. Oh, yeah. And he's he's got um, X Factor. He's got Moxie. He... He sort of like it looks like a bit of a lunatic, and he's got the crazy eyes, which I yeah, love. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't. I actually think he's actually listed out of position in in the fantasy world. I think he might even be listed as a back, or yep, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. So, which is interesting because he's clearly going to when he does play, he's going to be a ruck forward. So that would be an interesting one if he can get a game. He's going to be worth his weight in gold as a, as a sort of defensive ruck or, or some sort of combination of that. Um, Look, he might not score big, but I, I do think, you know, if you're looking for someone who's going to get a game at some point this year, he's, he's right there. Uh, the reason I knew his defence is he's currently sitting on my bench right now in, <laughs> in a defensive slot, yeah. so I'm happy to give that yeah, away, but uh, I'm not too yep. sure he plays early on. But, uh, he's no, not, probably he's, not early. Yeah, he's one potential there that you can use in multiple ways. Uh, Elliot Yo yeah. was on a limited pre-season in 2019. From what he has suggested, do you think he could return to consistent high ceiling games this season? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I'm, my only worry with Yo, and it's the same with Shuey and Gaff, is that what impact will Tim Kelly have? Mm-hmm. Um, we discussed before about Marston, and it, sort of one of the midfielders was basically not involved when it came to, to trying to win possessions. And Hutchings is kind of the same too. So you almost had two guys who weren't trying to win the ball. Um, Kelly is not going to be like that. He is going to he is going to win the ball. He's going to get somewhere between 22 and 27 possessions a game, mm-hmm. um, and he's going to demand it because he's he's powerful. Um, so I'm I'm not sure which of those big three, if any, it'll impact the most. So my concern with a Yo Gaff Shuey would be, yeah, what what will Kelly do to them? And for that reason, I probably wouldn't be touching them in salary cap leagues unless I absolutely love them or I absolutely had to. There was no one else in that price range. Yeah. Yeah. In brass. Um, I still think Yo is a, is a high value prospect. Um, I've never been a huge Yo fan in fantasy because my concern is that he's so versatile that you just never know what his role is going to shift to from a game to game basis. Yep. Um, but he is a wonderful player, and 
I'd probably I'd probably look at taking him. I haven't done my draft rankings yet, but somewhere sort of in the, the second to third to fourth rounds, so yep. he's still going to be a, a high-scoring player. It's just that Kelly thing, which just worries me a little bit. Yep. How healthy do you currently rate the West Coast list to that of 2019 and also 2018? Yeah, very healthy. Um, as I mentioned, Nick Nutt and Josh Kennedy have done pretty much everything that they can do in the preseason, which is... The first time in a long time either of those guys have done that. Jeremy McGovern was coming off heel surgery, um, and he's sort of been slow to re-enter things. But he did this last year as well as an All-Australian. So he's yep. kind of a different egg, Gov. He's, he's not your typical AFL player. He doesn't have the you know the amazing rig and all the, the, the elite fitness. He just knows how to find the ball and he knows how to read it. So I wouldn't worry about McGovern. Yep. Um, I touched on Oscar Allen before. He's done almost nothing. Um, with the main group, he's doing a lot of walking, a lot of running on the side. So I reckon he might have a slight delay to his season, um, which is frustrating because I think a lot were expecting a big year from him. Yep. Um, and the other ones, uh, Nathan Vardy has been held back a little bit, but he started to re-enter now. And Tommy Barris, was um, he was away from the main group for about six weeks, but he's just rejoined full training. So other than that, and of course, Willie Rioli, the there's not really a lot of issues. All the midfielders have done a bulk of work. Um, all the sort of the, the second tier of players, you know, whether it be your Brad Shepherds, your Dom Sheets, your Liam Ryan, these guys have all done as much as they could possibly do. So it's very, very healthy. Um, touch wood for their sake, but it's um, it's looking like they've had a really good preseason. Excellent. We'll move on to the Purple Haze now. How do, yeah. you, how do you currently see the game plan for Justin Longmuir evolving at Fremantle this year? Far more skill-based and far more attacking uh, would be the first two things I would say. Um, watching their training drills is completely different. Yep. Um, a lot of kicking, a lot of like full-field moving the ball drills. Like, And I'm not alone here. Anyone I've been with when I've been watching Trio Train has been, not shocked, but been, it's refreshing, I yep. suppose. Ross Lyon's a fantastic coach. He knows how to, how to tactically um, control the game. But... Um, from a sheer just sheer enjoyment to watch, it's it's very refreshing to see the way they're moving the ball around. They're going to take a year or two to get their skills back up to where they need to be. They're not a really great skill team. Yep. Um, but um, in saying that, I think a lot of the guys they have have been underutilised, um, and it's going to be an interesting it's going to be an interesting season for Fremantle. I, I think this is a complete change in in style, and um, also. Not to say that Ross wasn't liked, he was liked, but there were a few players he was hard on, yep. and a few of those guys I think we might see thrive uh, in this season. Justin Longmuir on radio interview a few weeks back, he said he wanted to have the ball come out of the defensive part of the ground a lot safer. Do you see any part of that yeah. when watching training? Um, oh, definitely. And I think it's the key is getting the, the ball into the hands of the people he trusts. Um, they didn't have had Stephen Hill at full capacity for a couple of years now. He's, mm. he's probably a top three kick in that team. Um, so if they can get him coming off halfback, they would love that. I know Ethan Hughes has, has driven some Fremantle fans mad over the years, but he's had a huge preseason. Yep. And, and even two weeks ago, Nat Fife said he, he thinks Ethan Hughes will be in their top 10 at the BNF at the end of the year, which is wow. a pretty big rap for Ethan Hughes. Now, I don't know if that means he's going to play um, a lot of that halfback line, but that's where he's pretty much played most of his footy. So he's one to keep an eye on in the Marsh Cup, I would say. Yep. Um, and Luke Ryan, obviously, we know he's been really, really good. Um, so there's a, yeah, there's a few guys I would think that are probably going to win because of that scenario. Um, not so much your handlings and your pierces; those guys are, are pretty much strictly yep. defenders and safe kickers. Um, 
But I would think, yeah, I, I think he's going to look to use some of those guys. Stephen Hill is the big one. If, if they can get Stephen Hill healthy and coming off halfback, they'll, be a, they'll actually be a far better team. The opportunities in the midfield at the Dockers could provide some value for fantasy coaches in 2020. Are you sold on either Brayshaw, Bewley, Chera, or Blakely in 2020? Um, okay, we'll go through them each individually. Bewley, I'm I'm very much sold on. I think he was the opportunity, and when he got it, he probably didn't handle it as well as he could have in some instances. Um, but he did show that he was a pretty good kick at times sometimes a lethal kick, um, and a very, very good runner. He won their time trial a few weeks ago, which I know we all get excited about, but it proves that he can actually hold up to an AFL stand tank, which is not just that, but he'll be elite. Um, so I would think he'll be in there 22 for sure. Um, Chera and Brayshaw, I know there's a ton of hype about Brayshaw, and everybody seems to have him in their team. Yep. I currently don't. I, look, I like the kid. I think he's going to be a really good AFL player, but... He's adjusting to a new game plan. We're not quite sure what that's going to look like just yet. And he's not exactly super cheap. Yep. He's still pretty expensive when it comes to AFL Fantasy from what I've seen. So I'm probably on the side of caution with Brayshaw, although that's not saying he won't be a good player or he's got anything to worry about injury-wise. I'm just not quite there yet with him. Yep. And it's sort of the same for Chera. He has put on a bit of size. He looks a bit bigger than he has, which has always been my knock on him. He needed to put on a bit of, a bit of muscle, and he's done that. Um, but again, I need to see what role he has. If I had to take a punt on either of them, let's say in a draft league, I know I'm probably going to get Chera yep. maybe three rounds later than Brayshaw. In that case, I'll do that. Yep. Um, rather than overpay to get a Brayshaw, I'd, I'd probably take the punt on Chera, who in their first year I liked a lot more. Um, so that's those two guys. And then the other one was uh, Connor Blakely. Yep. Um, yeah, look... I, the problem with Connor, and, and Ross was very hard on Connor. He was one of the guys he really rode hard. Um, I think he saw a lot of potential in Connor, and, and at times Connor, maybe with his kicking, was a, was a little bit of a letdown, and obviously he's had a lot of injuries over the years as well to deal with. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm not quite sure what his role is, and they sort of tried him across halfback as a, a reader of the footy, and he played pretty well. Um, he has done a lot of work with the midfield, uh, in the preseason, so that's an encouraging sign. Yep. I'd definitely be taking a punt on him, and he's kind of become almost a forgotten man yep. um, in in the, in the footy circles. I would have thought, particularly in fantasy. So I reckon you can get it later than you should be able to get him. So yeah, I, out of that lot, they're all very different in what my expectations would be. But the guys I'd be targeting in drafts would probably be Bewley um, and maybe Blakely uh, lateish. And if I had to do that, Chera Brayshaw thing, as I said, I'd take Chera three or four rounds later than Brayshaw. What do you expect out of Hayden Young, Caleb Sarong, and Liam Henry? Um, I expect a fair bit. Um, I'll just throw another one in there um, before we discuss those guys. Is yep. Luke Valenti? I've seen a fair bit of love for him on socials the last few days. Yep. Pick, you know, with his, he was looking pretty ripped. The guy hasn't done a lot. He still isn't really doing all of training. He's had heaps of issues with his groin, whether or not it's osteitis pubis or not. The doctors are reluctant to say, but he's. He's really been restricted since he came in. Clearly, he's done a lot of work on the upper body. Yep. Um, but I'd be really concerned with people just jumping a little bit too soon on a Luke Valenti. I haven't seen him do enough. Yep. The running base isn't there. I, I don't reckon he'd be playing. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I don't reckon he'll be playing in the senior side in the first at least four to six weeks. So just cool the Jets on Valenti a little bit. On the other guys, I reckon Young is probably slightly ahead followed by Sarong and then Henry in terms of playing immediately. Um, But I reckon if I were Justin Longmuir and I were Peter Bell, I I would be targeting 
somewhere between 14 and 18 games for all three of those kids this year. Yep. Um, and that depends on how well you're going, obviously. If they surprise and they, they shoot up the ladder and, you know, Henry cops an injury or whatever, that maybe they don't play that many. But I think when you've got three kids that you're taking in the top 10, that's the future of your club. You need to accelerate this list a little bit because it's been lacking. Um, I think all of those guys will play. Um, Henry is a, is a phenomenally skilled player. Absolutely. Um, Mike Walters raves about him, says he's the best kick he's ever trained with, along with Harley Bennell. Um, and he's the interesting one with Walters too. He could unlock Walters into more of a midfield role. If Henry can play straight away and be an yep. impact small forward, it could mean a lot for Michael Walters. Um, Young's a fantastic kick, as you know, and Sarong's done some interesting things at training. Um, so, look, I think they're all right in the mix. Round one, I'd put my money on Young to start, um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see the other two either there or, or very shortly after that. Excellent insight there with if Henry plays Walters into the midfield. And yeah. just on Young there, I couldn't have been more impressed from, from his football last year. Phenomenal talent right there for me. I think uh, he, he's going to be roaming that halfback and defensive part of the ground for Fremantle for quite a long time. Well, it's that kicking. I mean, that, that's the thing that jumps yeah. off, isn't it? You yeah. watch him, and it's not just a good kick or a, or a clever kick. He's a damaging kick. Like he, he will take on the most difficult possible kick, and he will nail it. Yeah. Um, and so that is something they've been craving over the years, which is why I think he's a little skinny, um, a little skinnier than I thought he would be. I thought he'd be a bit. I thought he had a more of an AFL-ready body. It's yeah. not too far off, but um, he's not exactly Griffin Logue in that respect. Yeah. Um, but. He's, he is an elite kick. He, he would absolutely be up there with the best kicks in the AFL already, assuming he's up to the decision-making under the elite pressure. Yes. Um, but he's, he's going to be very special. Do you think this is the breakout season for Sean Darcy, priced at an average of 68.9 points at round one? Uh, I wouldn't say breakout. I think this is the season Darcy needs to have in the way that Sandy lands is finally out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, the only real competition he's got is Rory Lobb, who has said publicly many times he doesn't like rucking, he doesn't want to ruck. Um, and obviously with Hogan likely sitting out a good portion of the season now, you've probably got Lobb stuck in that forward line, which is a good thing for Darcy. Yep. The only other real competition is Lloyd Meek, who they do like a little bit, but they need to give Darcy a red-hot crack, and he needs to get his body right. Yep. He still doesn't look fantastic. Yep. He still looks like almost like you... I sort of said about McGovern before, not really being an AFL-type body. I mean, Darcy's probably where McGovern was six years ago. So it's he really needs to sort of get that in line. If he can get 18 games into him, I wouldn't be surprised if he averaged very close to 80, yep. slightly above, maybe. Um, and if you call that a breakout, then that's I guess that is a breakout. It's probably a rise of you know 12 to 14 points. Um, I just think he needs to put games together. He needs to play as many as he can, as many minutes, um, stay in shape, um, not get hurt. And the, the road is right there for him in terms of Ruckman with opportunities. He might be you know number one in terms of guys who can actually break out. But I can't really think of too many more that have that clear path. So. Yeah, in that respect, he's got the chance for it. Well, thanks for joining us today, Ryan. There were about 20 to 30 discussion points right there that I have to go back and listen to this podcast again because <laughs> that was certainly great content. And for, for news coming out of Perth, for the eastern side uh, of the country, fantasy coaches, that was fantastic insight. I uh, would like to thank you for joining us on the Plus Six podcast. Any final words? Um, no, I'm grateful to be here. It's been, I've actually been listening along and it's been really insightful. It's, it's 
sort of a different style of podcast, which is always good. Um, I think we, we need more in-depth sort of stuff. Um, I'll be doing a podcast again this year, The Hardball Gets. I'll be doing a fantasy one with Fenn. Um, even though his research is probably useless again, he'll be included. Yep. And um, and also a two-minute warning one, which is Xavier Ellis and, and a guy named Nick Grin, who's now the editor of the West Australian. So we sort of chat each team and we do two minutes uh, per team and then we move on really quick. The idea is that every team gets a look in and we don't yep. muck around with long, boring takes. We get to the point and we, and we move straight forward. And I don't think I've told anybody this yet, but I will be writing again this year. I'll be doing a column uh-huh. in the West and online each week, which um, will probably be on Fridays, I would suggest. And Excellent. Probably won't be fantasy-related, but it'll be it'll be footy-related, and, and every now and then I might do something fantasy-related too. But that's, um, that's the other thing I've got going on this year. Two additional podcasts for the listeners, one extra article for the footy season, and at Footy Rhino, if you don't follow on Twitter already... Uh, Ryan is definitely a must listen. Uh, Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Beauty. Thanks, Pete. That is it for episode 13 of the Plus Six podcast. Jeppe will return in the not-too-distant future as we close in on pre-season games. Before we close this podcast, if you would like a chance at scoring a Plus Six podcast cap, just retweet any podcast link that is sent out via Twitter. We'll give a few away towards the end of pre-season. On that note, we'll wrap up this podcast. Thanks for tuning in.